Good morning. I'm really pleased that you're able to join us today as we start our new sermon series. It's our second series that we've been bringing to you online that we've been sharing to you in this way. And, you know, in the midst of the, the coronavirus pandemic, we've been having to learn new ways of doing things. We're having to adjust the way that we're doing things. And that's true, not just of, of, of church, but for all of us, I'm sure that in many ways we're, this has been a real time of adjustment where we're having to become familiar with new ways of doing and also new ways of thinking. And one of the areas for me that I'm aware that my thinking is, is, is changing and maybe becoming familiar with is around uh, social distancing and the guidance that we've been given on that to the extent that now I find myself when I'm watching television, uh, if I see a group of people uh, on the TV screen, I can start questioning whether they're from the same household or not, or I can find myself feeling a little bit agitated when they're not standing far enough apart from one another. I don't know if you found yourself doing that as well. It's quite strange. Uh, but then, you know, I realised that in, in many cases, these shows were filmed and made months, if not years before. But this just this new familiarity of this way of thinking that is maybe even becoming a little bit normal now. I was on a walk yesterday and I thought nothing of jumping into the undergrowth at the side of the path in order to make enough room for, for people to come through without, you know, again, without really giving it much thought. It's just become a little bit of what we do now. But even though it's become a little bit normal, perhaps maybe though we're becoming familiar with the idea of social distancing, what I'm finding in the conversations I'm having with people and in the things that I'm hearing what people are missing, maybe what people are missing most, is being around others. People are missing physical engagement. People are missing physical connection. They're missing being around others. People, I think, are missing nearness. Now, in the last series that we did, we were asking the question of what truly matters. And if you were a part of that, if you were listening to that, you'll remember that the approach we were taking was to say, if we, we look at Scripture, Scripture reveals to us who God is. It reveals what is important to him. And one of the other things, actually, that Scripture reveals to us is that God is he's relational, that God is knowable, that he's not distant, but actually he is near. We see this very clearly in him sending Jesus, in him sending his son. One of the names that Jesus is given in the Bible is Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, God is knowable, God is relational, and God is near. We are not left alone, and this is very much at the fore of this new series. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be spending some time exploring the Gospel of John and particularly chapters 14 to 17. And these these chapters cover kind of Jesus last few hours before he is arrested and then the next day crucified. And he's spending time with his disciples and he's telling his disciples that he's got to go away, that he's got to leave them. And this unsettles the disciples and their hearts are troubled. These chapters are known uh, fairly widely, they're known as the farewell discourse. And it is, it's this time, it's this precious time for Jesus, time spent with his closest friends, a time where he's able to, to prepare and instruct them about the new community that he's establishing, the new community that he's bringing together. And he knows how they feel. 
And through these moments together where separation looms large in the minds of his friends, what Jesus does and what we'll see that he does in this moment where where kind of this separation is is filling their vision, what Jesus does is he connects himself to them. See, over the course of the series, as we explore Jesus' words, we'll discover that Jesus wants his disciples to know that he wants us to know that when we're trusting in him, we are never left alone. There is hope for troubled hearts. And so we're going to start today at the beginning of chapter 14. We're going to read the first four verses. So let's read from verse one. It says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. I saw a tweet the other day that was very relevant to the time that we're in, the season that we're in. And it said this, it said, not one person who went for a job interview in 2015 got the answer right to, so where do you see yourself in five years? I think actually it's very true. Who would have foreseen the season that we're in now and the circumstances in which we are in now? And actually, uh, whether in an interview or, or not, if you were asked what life might look like or where you might be in a few years' time, whether that's two years or three years, five years, whatever it might be, where we might imagine ourselves or how we might imagine or see our our lives looking can often end up very different from what actually happens. Even if we might have an idea of what we might want to see or where we might be, sometimes the reality is very different to that. Now, for the disciples, they, they'd spent the past few years where their lives were just entirely wrapped up in Jesus. They were devoted to him. They were investing everything that they had with him. They saw their, their future with him and now he's saying that he's leaving and so in these in these chapters in these verses what we're finding is that his friends they're trying to process this news they're trying to process actually what this isn't quite how we thought things were going to be this is not what we're expecting we're having to to think things through in a in a different way we're trying to make sense of what is going on and they become unsettled to the point where maybe they're even feeling fearful And it's into this that Jesus speaks to their hearts. And he says those words in verse one. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Now, this is no kind of throwaway comment. Jesus isn't, he's not just thought, oh, hang on a minute. I've said something that's unsettled them a little. I need to just say something just to kind of, uh, you know, just to kind of bring that back. And, you know, I don't want to uh, just have kind of thrown throwing something at them and it's leaving them feeling a bit wobbly or unsettled here. Actually, it's no throwaway comment. He's not uh, just telling them to, to put on a brave face. It's not a vague reassurance that everything will be all right and it will work out in the end. These are powerful words. These are significant words. And if you like, we can look at these words of let not your heart be troubled, let not your hearts be troubled, almost as a, a banner over everything else that follows, over everything else that Jesus says is under that banner of let not your hearts be troubled. 
And actually it reveals something of Jesus' heart. This is on the eve of his crucifixion. He, he knows what is going to be facing him. He knows what awaits him. He knows what he is going to be facing. And yet in these moments, he, he, he understands what his disciples are going through. He knows what they're going through and his heart is for them. He wants to speak words of comfort. He wants to speak words of love. He wants to speak words of hope to them in spite of what he was facing. His heart was for them. He wanted to speak to their hearts at that point. You know, he wasn't just on a recruiting mission. He cares about how his friends are. He cares about how they're feeling. We can sometimes say, can't we, you know, some of the advice that might be given out is follow your heart or trust your heart. But I'm not sure that's necessarily the most helpful advice or guidance. The reason I say this is because our hearts can be can be flattered. Our hearts can be deceived. Our hearts aren't always the most accurate guides in terms of telling us where we should go and what we should be doing. And what we see here for the disciples and what I would imagine that for many of us, if not all of us, our experience will be is that sometimes our hearts do become troubled. Where we don't know what to do, we become unsettled. And if we're trusting in our hearts and our hearts are becoming settled, what does that then mean for us? TJ Timms, he's a pastor in Nashville in America. And I came across something he said recently that I thought was really very helpful. And he said that the heart was never meant to be trusted. It was meant to be entrusted to Jesus. The heart was never meant to be trusted. It was meant to be entrusted to Jesus. It was meant to be put into his care. And really, this is what Jesus is saying. When he says, let not your hearts be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me. See, what Jesus offers us, if we were looking for some sort of a, a remedy for the troubled heart, if we were looking for some sort of an antidote for the troubled heart, Jesus offers it. And what he offers us is, is, as the remedy, what he offers us as the antidote to a troubled heart is himself. Yes, he points us to God. And maybe we would expect that, you know, if someone is feeling troubled, we might think actually, yeah, let's, you know, point them to God. But Jesus also points us to himself and he's making a, a huge statement about who he is. The statement that he is the son of God. And as we look to the son of God, we see that he shows us who God is. And as Jesus continues, so he's talking about trust, trusting God, trusting him. And as he continues, he roots this trust that he's calling his followers to. What I mean by that is that he he roots it by explaining why him going away is of such significance. He explains why him going away is of such importance. You see, whatever comfort we can have, whatever hope we can know, it's true for the disciples then, it's true for us today. Whatever hope we can have is firmly rooted in his going away. And this side of, of the crucifixion, we know that his going away resulted in his death, his burial and his resurrection. So whatever hope we have is rooted in that, in those events that took place in history. Last week, as we came to share communion, we were looking at Paul's words to the church 
in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 19 to 20. And this is what Paul says to the church. He says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. You see, the hope that Jesus speaks of is not just for this life, but is also of the one to come. And that is the hope that he was speaking to his disciples in that upper room. But it's the same hope that he speaks to us today. This hope is not just for this life, but also for the one to come. And as Jesus, he then goes on to speak about his father's house. And in doing so, he's reframing the the scope of the hope that they have. And he does this by lifting their eyes from their current circumstances and onto the life to come. So he lifts their eyes from their current circumstances and onto the life that is to come, onto the hope that is to come. And so he speaks about the father's room, the father's house. So he speaks about the father's house of the hope that is to come. And he says this about the father's house. He says that in my father's house, there are many rooms. You see, when we hear Jesus talk about the father's house, we, we might it might raise questions for us in terms of, of what heaven is like, what this house is like, what it's going to be like, what it's going to look like. But the emphasis here in what Jesus is sharing, the emphasis isn't so much on the house. The emphasis is on the many rooms aspect of it. I don't know if you've ever seen the the program Through the Keyhole. The premise of the show is that they go into a a celebrity's house and they show you around the house. And the idea being that that the house kind of reveals who the owner is and it's up to the contestants to guess whose house it is. But the house reveals something of the owner. And that God's house has many rooms says something about who he is. The fact that God's house has many rooms is an an expression of his heart. It's an expression that his heart is generous. There are many rooms because his heart is generous. One of the parts of the the, the final, uh, the farewell discourse Actually, in chapter 13, what we see is Jesus breaks bread with his disciples. And in Matthew's account of it, he, he, he breaks the bread and he pours out the wine and he says, this is my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. So even in those moments, Jesus is emphasizing the generosity of God's heart. He's emphasizing the generosity of of that he is generous in salvation he's emphasizing the fact that it, it, it is for many he's and again when he's speaking about the father's house he's emphasizing the generosity of God's heart by saying look this is my father's house and in it there are many rooms why because God's heart is generous because God is generous with salvation he says to his disciples I'm going to prepare a room for you there are many rooms and there is room for you Now let's just remind ourselves very quickly of what the context of these chapters is. Remember the disciples, their hearts are troubled by the fact that Jesus is going away. And Jesus knows this. And he's speaking comfort to their troubled hearts. He knows that they're troubled by him going. So Jesus tells them where he's going. And he says this, he says, I go to prepare a place 
for you. Now, if we have people coming to stay, if we have people coming over to our homes, we might be a time of, of preparation, getting things ready. If we know we've got people coming to stay for any period of time, it might be that that there are maybe renovations that need to be made, adjustments that need to be made. But this isn't the preparation that Jesus is talking about in this instance. You see, later this evening, in the time where Jesus is saying this, in this time he's spending with his disciples, later, later that evening, Jesus and his disciples are going to find themselves in the garden. And in that garden, Jesus is going to be arrested. And then the next day, the next morning, Jesus is going to be crucified. See, when Jesus says, I go to prepare a way, that is where he is going. He's going somewhere only he can in order to do something that only he could do. Jesus said of himself, he said, I only do what I see my father doing. He lived a life of perfect obedience to the father. He was perfect. He was sinless. There was no offence to be found in him. There was never any barrier between him and the Father. And so when Jesus says, I am going to prepare a way. When Jesus is, is, is going somewhere that only he can go in order to do something only he can do, he's going to the cross to offer himself as a sacrifice. A place that only he could go to do something that only he could do to prepare a place only he could prepare. What I found when in these verses, verses two to three, when Jesus is speaking about the father's house and he's speaking about the generosity of the father's heart. I was highlighting uh, in my notes just everywhere where Jesus refers to himself. And it happens a number of times. I think it's maybe six, seven times in these verses where he speaks about I go I go to prepare a room that you will be with me I give uh, I will come to you myself he refers to him many many times just in these few short verses and it struck me that you cannot separate Jesus from the father's house he's the one that prepares a place He's the one that will come again for those who know him. He's the one who will take them to himself and he will be with them. There's a guy named David Mathis and he wrote a, a, a blog piece on these verses. And on chapter 14, he says this. He says that Jesus speaks to his disciples in their confusion, in their anxiety and fears. And he comforts them by saying, in essence, I will be enough for you. It's just wonderful. And again, when he's speaking about the hope that is to come, not just in this life, but in the life to come, Jesus is saying, actually, in, in your anxiety, in your fears, I am enough for you. I have to go. But in going, I am enough for you because I'm going to prepare hope for you, not just for this life but for the one to come and I'm coming back for you and where I am, you will be also. You see, the disciples were troubled by the thought or, or the prospect of being abandoned. Maybe that's how they were feeling. Jesus, he's, he's abandoning us. We thought he was going to be with us, but now he's going, but far from being 
abandoned. Jesus had to go to make a way. Jesus had to go to prepare a room. But he's coming back and he's coming back with the promise that where he is, they will be also. And in his words of hope, he answers their troubled hearts. He assures their troubled hearts that they are not losing him. They are gaining him. This is the same hope available to every heart. The question is, will you entrust your heart to him? Just going to pray for us. But I want to say, if, if you don't yet know Jesus, if you're not yet following him, if you're not yet trusting in him and you'd like someone to pray for you or you'd like someone to, to spend some time just chatting things through with you, to have a chance to have a conversation with someone about it, please do get in touch with us. We would love to be able to have that time with you, to pray for you, to talk things through with you. So please do use our contact us page and reach out to us. But just wanted to say that, aware that for, for some of us watching, that may be the case for us. But let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that you are a generous God, that you are generous with salvation. We want to thank you that there is hope, that there is hope not just in this life, but in the life to come. And we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you sent your son. We thank you for his obedience to the point of death on a cross. We thank you that his obedience means that a room has been prepared, a way has been prepared for us. For us to be a part of your household, for us to be a part of your family. Father, we thank you that you speak hope to troubled hearts. Thank you for that assurance that for those who trust in you, They will never be truly alone. Father, would you help us day by day with our hearts, whether they feel troubled, whether they don't feel troubled, would you help us to be those that don't trust in our own hearts, but rather entrust them to Jesus. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.